All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, just simply look in the table of contents. You can find the page number in your Bible. Exodus chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 33. We're going to read through chapter 13, verse 16. Follow along as I read. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done uh, as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they left left them, let them, excuse me, And, uh, my goodness, let me start that little phrase over. So they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough uh, that they had brought out of the land of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of it, any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord. Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of the, from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me, 
when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord, the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall, you shall redeem. And when in time your son asks, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we ask once again that you open our eyes to your word. Give us this grace this morning so that we might be strengthened in our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., not the one in Baltimore, which is the first Washington mo- Monument, by the way, but the, the, you know, the, the second one, it was uh, being renovated uh, some years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, and, and the workers that were renovating it found uh, ancient graffiti, or old graffiti, about 100 years old, from the 1800s, uh, inside the foyer, covered under some plaster, covered up by plaster. They removed the plaster, and they found this, this graffiti, and it, uh, it read, Any man who tells another the gospel of Jesus Christ, and passes it on, shall leave a monument greater than this one. We don't know who wrote it, but they knew what they were talking about. You know, there's something intrinsically uh, within us that that desires to leave uh, behind a legacy. But Let's just get real for a moment before we have all these grand ideas of how we're going to leave a legacy. Let me ask you a question. This is a question that Professor Donald Whitney asks his class often to make a point. How many of you can name all eight of your great-grandparents' first and last names? Your great-grandparents, we're talking, what, uh, three generations removed from you. So everybody biologically has eight great-grandparents. It's it's impossible to not have eight great-grandparents. How many of you can name all eight of them? Anybody? How many can name four of them? All right, we got a couple that can name four. How many can name one of them? First and last name. Maybe half. 
Now think about this, all right? Just a a, a number of decades ago, your great-grandparents were living their lives. They had dreams and aspirations. They may have thought about their own offspring. They may have thought about you without knowing you. Just a couple of decades ago, they were worried about the same kind of stuff that you're worried about. Trying to make sense of life, looking for a job possibly, learning a recipe in the kitchen. Now if anybody in the world should care about your great-grandparents, it is you. And you don't even know their names. Now, this is the point that Whitney's trying to get at. Uh, Consider your own life. Your own great-grandkids will probably not know your name. So your kids will have kids, and their kids will not know your name and very little about your life. So how is it possible that we could leave a legacy? You know, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 is right. It says, the grass fades and the flower falls. That's true, isn't it? Life truly is a vapor. And we are fading constantly. Now, it has been said that Christianity will be extinct or could be extinct in one generation if the previous generation doesn't pass on the faith. Now, the same would be true of Israel. Here they are coming out of the land of of Egypt, and it is very true that if these stories are not passed on, the next generation will not know the faith. And so God here in Exodus chapter 12 and 13 is showing Israel how to leave behind a legacy. So I want to talk to you this morning on this topic, leaving a legacy. How is it possible? How is it possible to leave a legacy? Well, look at this, this, this text that we have in front of us today. Uh, we see right there in chapter 12, verses 33 through uh, 42, the exodus. They leave. They get essentially kicked out of Egypt. They leave in haste. We now see why, uh, th- why they were to have unleavened bread. It was to remind them that they didn't even have time to leaven their bread, but they had to eat it quickly because in the middle of the night, Pharaoh said, get out of here. And so they were dismissed from Egypt. And verse 38, by the way, is interesting. We see here that a mixed multitude, or some of your translations say, many other people went with them. Do you realize that? Like, do you realize that that the, the, the doors to God's kingdom have always been open to whoever turns to God and, and worships the God of Israel. And as Israel is walking out of Egypt, many uh, other people, we can only assume here, Egyptians are saying, we're going with them. We're worshiping their God. And they leave. This remarkable moment in their history, salvation from Egypt, and God says, I don't want you to forget this as a people. This must be passed on from generation 
to generation. And this is how you are going to leave a legacy to your children. Now we see in uh, verse, chapter 12, verse 43, through chapter 13, verse 16, that the author really takes a pause from the narrative. And we're going to get to the parting of the river, but before we get there, the parting of the sea, before we get there, he takes a pause. And there are these uh, instructions for what would be known as the Passover feast. Very detailed instructions that is to be kept from generation to generation, that is to be passed on from father and mother to children so that they would not forget. A friend of mine, he's, he's uh, Jewish by uh, heritage as well as by tradition um, and uh, doesn't practice anymore, but he did growing up. And so I asked him, what, what was the point of the Passover? Just ask him this question. What was the point of, the, what, when growing up as you're celebrating this Passover year after year, what's the point of it? Why, why do you have this tradition? He was like, well, uh, it's a tradition. I, right, I said that. But what's the point of the tradition? He was like, I don't, we, we just weren't connecting. He was like, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition. Okay, is there a point for the tradition? Like, we kind of went back and forth. It was this very awkward conversation. And then I had to tell him, like, who am I to tell my friend the point of Passover? But I had to tell him, let me tell you what the point is, all right? Look at verse 9. It shall be a sign to you, chapter 13, it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. You see that word memorial right there? That is the Hebrew word zikron, which is a word that doesn't just simply convey the idea of memory, like we remember something, but it's something that's very, very concrete. This, this remembrance or this memorial would, would be a ceremony that would actually allow questions to be, to be asked. It would be something that you would, you would do so that others might say, why do we do this? And then you might be able to tell them. So look, let's look at it. All throughout here, go back to chapter 12, uh, verse, verse, uh, uh, verse 26. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, and then you explain it. This is why we do what we do. It's because the Lord brought us out of Egypt with His strong Hand. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. You shall tell your son on that day. You're doing all of these things. You're keeping these traditions so that you might tell your son something. Skip down to verse 14. And when in time your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him. You see, there was a very specific purpose for this Passover feast and for this tradition to be kept year after year after year. And the purpose is this. The story must continue. 
We must pass the story on to the next generation. We must tell the next generation about the salvation that God has given to us. And so we are going to do these things year after year and and we're going to have the unleavened bread so that the child will ask, why do we have unleavened bread? And oh, we we can tell them we were kicked out of Egypt. We ran out in, in haste. We're going to consecrate the firstborn and, and slaughter an animal for every firstborn son. And the child will ask, why does an animal have to be slaughtered? Why are we killing Bambi today? And then you can tell them there needs to be a substitution. There needs to be blood so that we might live. God wanted his people to pass on a legacy. And this is how God's people were to pass on this legacy of faith. And God wants you today to pass on a legacy. To leave a legacy. But how is that possible if the flower falls? How is that possible if the grass fades so quickly? Well, here's how. We leave behind a legacy of faith. We see here three things that we must pass on. Three things that we must tell our kids in order to leave this legacy. This sermon today is for those with kids. It's for parents and grandparents. This sermon today is for singles who have no kids, who are part of a church that has kids, who have kids in their neighborhood. The sermon is for older saints who can no longer have children and who have influence and wisdom that is to be shared. So please follow along with me as we get into this. Three things that we must tell the next generation. Number one, tell them what the Lord did. Look at verse 8 in chapter 13. You shall tell your son on that day. So this is referring to the day that you have this feast, referring to this day of this Passover, on that day, tell them this, it is because of what the Lord did. Now this is called a Haggadah in Jewish tradition. You can even buy these today. Uh, Jewish families that continue to observe the Passover uh, every, every year in the spring, they sit down with the family and they have a Haggadah, which is a script that is read. It's a, questions and, a question and answer script in which the father sits with the family at the table and, and he tells the story of, of how uh, Israel left Egypt. And then there are these specific questions that children are to ask as part of this script. And then there's an answer that the father gives. You can buy these in, in stores. You can find a Haggadah. Now this is the original Haggadah right here in verse 8. This is the original, in, inerrant, inspired Haggadah for God's people. They're going to ask these questions. And on that day, this is what you are to tell them. You are to tell them on that day that it is because of what the Lord did. What the Lord did. Not what we did. Not what our fathers did. But we are to tell them what the Lord did. Remember in this entire story so far of Israel exiting Egypt, remember how passive Israel has been? 
They haven't brought about the plagues. Israel hasn't uh, brought about the darkness. Israel hasn't done anything to deserve the light that God shone onto Goshen that day. Israel did nothing. Israel was completely passive, even as they leave. They, they, they pull nothing out of their pockets. They have no tricks or strategies. God does absolutely everything, and then Pharaoh kicks them out in the middle of the night. And by the way, God even prepared them to run. Their cloaks were already tucked into their belts, and their sandals were on. Israel was completely passive in their salvation. God did everything. You see, the past actions of God show us God's grace. The past actions of God show us God's grace. Friends, what did you do in your own salvation? What part did you play when God saved you? You were passive the entire time. Salvation is something that God does for His people. He just saves you. I had the opportunity recently to walk through the Gospel with with a friend and we walked through the Gospel of Mark for about six studies and and about halfway through the process, uh, he he sat down with me and he said, God saved me. The lights turned on. I feel like I woke up. He did nothing. God did everything. When I consider my own salvation, I did nothing. God did everything. So we recount what God did for us and our passivity in it, His action in it. His past actions show us His grace. Also, His past actions shape our future. Why is it that this story is to be retold over and over, year after year? Why is it that the father is to sit around and, and, and with the family lead them through this, this process and this pattern and this tradition? It's because the past action of God shapes where we're going. The past action of God shapes how we live our lives today and how we're going to live our lives tomorrow. We can trust God in the future because of what He has done in the past. Now, this Passover continued year after year after year until the time of Jesus. Jesus walked into Jerusalem at what time of year? Passover. And Jesus sat with His disciples in the upper room and it is called the Last Supper. And that's a good name for it because that was the last Passover. But it could also be called the First Supper because Jesus there instituted a new meal that we are to continue. That we are to use as a remembrance ceremony in the same way. And there as Jesus sat with His last uh, his disciples at the last Passover and as they, they are taking the unleavened bread and He's breaking it and He's giving. So Jesus is leading the disciples through the Passover meal, right? And He takes the cup and He passes the cup. And you know what Jesus does here is He says, by the way, this is about Me. This is about Me. I asked my Jewish friend, I said, hey, 
if you were sitting around at a Passover celebration or, or remembrance ceremony and the person leading it uh, took the, the bread and broke it and he said, by the way, this refers to me. Would that be kind of radical? And he was like, yeah. That's kind of crazy. You guys, I want you to wrap your mind around the significance of what Jesus is doing there at that Passover. Jesus is taking the Passover and He's saying, all of this refers to Me. This is about Me and it's specifically about My death. My body broken. This is about His death. My blood that has been shared or poured out for you. This is about His death. Why? It's because in His death, the greatest work of God is done for you, and that is deliverance from sin and the forgiveness of all your sins. And so in the same way, we remember the great act of God in the death of Jesus Christ. It is all His work, all His grace for us. And it shapes our future. You know, I love the fact that we have a church that embraces this. I love the fact that my children have in the past asked, why do, why do you take communion? Why do we have the cup? Why do we have the bread? This is the opportunity for us to pass on this faith to the next generation. The gathering of the church. Do you realize that families, we have as parents a very specific, unique, particular uh, responsibility in training our children. And do you realize that as a church family that we have a specific, unique opportunity to pass this on to the next generation? Do you realize that every one of you plays a part as a church family in passing the faith on to the next generation? I love the fact that there are women in this church who have uh, spent time with my, my girls. You know how cool it is for a dad when, when his daughters have a sleepover and, and their friends consist of godly women. Passing on the faith to the next generation. Leaving behind a legacy. Telling the next generation this is what God did. Secondly, we see that we are to tell them what He did for me. Verse 8, we see here in this Haggadah something very special about it. The, the leader of this Passover will say this, it is because of what the Lord did for me. He did it for me. I mean, wait, wait a second. This would continue for generation after generation. This person, uh, this person wasn't there. I mean, we don't, we don't talk about any other historical event in this way. It would, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, think of the Holocaust. Imagine telling your child the story of the Holocaust. And you said, you know, there were these concentration camps and, 
And then the, the, uh, the UN came in and, and invaded these concentration camps and, uh, and, and they, they rescued me. Well, that would be irresponsible. That's probably, unless you're 90 and, and Jewish descent and we're, and we're there, that would actually be wrong of us to put ourselves in that place. That would be a, what we call a lie. It's interesting to me that this historical event of the redemption out of the land of Egypt is something that every generation is to call mine. He did this for me. He did this for me. And friends, today, in the same way, He did this for you. He rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Think of the mighty works of God in His salvation. This isn't just simply uh, something that happened 2,000 years ago as Jesus was placed on the cross and, and we tell the story and we remember it because it's so, it's so interesting and it, it motivates us in some ways. No, He died for me. You know, I've, I've heard so many Christians who have talked about uh, how, how they grew up uh, in, a, in, a, in a home where the parents took them to church week after week and I've heard so many Christians say, but you know, I never heard my parents uh, talk about the faith themselves. It was something we did. We went to church, but I can't remember my parents ever telling me anything about the faith themselves. Is this yours? Is this the, the great act of God in salvation? Is it yours? And will we own it? Will we say, this is for me? Do your children, or if you have children someday, will they know that you were saved? That you have experienced this redemption out of Egypt? Is it for me? Or is this just something we do on Sundays? Look, the, the, the faith is to be passed on from one generation to another primarily in this way through parents telling their children that He died for me. The great acts of God and, and, and my inclusion in it. This is biblical. Think of the story of the Bible. It begins with Adam. Adam evidently told his children about what happened. The next scene we see Noah. Noah tells his children about the great acts of God and, and God actually saves Noah and his family. Preserves a family. God next appears to a man named Abram. Abram tells his son Isaac. Isaac tells his son Jacob. Jacob tells his son Joseph. Going to the land of Egypt. The faith continues for 430 years. Now they're being released and the whole entire nation is given this command to pass this on from one family to the next so that the faith may continue and grow and expand. This is how then in the whole Old Testament everyone came to faith largely uh, and, and was discipled. It was through the family. Now we get into the New Testament and even more so, Ephesians chapter 5 Fathers are told to instruct their children in the things of the Lord. We are to pass this on from generation to generation in the same way. 
You know, you go back a hundred years or so, and uh, the concept of family worship was prevalent. Go back a, a couple hundred years before that, and, and the, the, uh, the successful uh, uh, family was simply a family who would go out and work their job in the fields, come home, they would sit together, eat a meal together, have family worship, read a story, uh, a passage of Scripture, have prayer together, teach their kids these things, and go to bed. That was the successful life. But today, because of TV, today because of Facebook, today because of all of our distractions, sports, dance, you name it, the, the very concept of family worship is a thing of the past. We hardly even put those two terms together. Parents are not teaching their children the things of God. Parents are hoping that the church will teach their children the things of God. But we are to take this responsibility and pass it on. 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon said, I trust that there is no one in this church who considers himself a Christian and neglects the duty of family worship. Now, those of you who are without kids are sort of sitting easy right now. This doesn't apply to me. Hmm. You know, Jesus himself said that when you become a Christian, you have a hundredfold brothers and sisters. It means you're in a big family. While the family has somewhat of a primary, specific responsibility, the church has a responsibility as well. To pass the faith on to the next generation. When I was a, a child, Mrs. Dyke was an old lady in our church. She was about 130 years old at the time. She was probably only 60, but <laughs> when you're eight, <laughs> when you're eight, she... Uh, uh, she was barren, never, never able to have children, uh, yet she taught for years and years and decades in our children's ministry at the church, faithfully, every week. Uh, she taught hundreds of children the gospel. In her Bible, she had page after page of hundreds of names where she had uh, written down these names of children that she had shared the gospel with and children that she is, she is praying for. It spanned years she shared the gospel with me. She taught me things. God uses women like her every day to pass on the faith to the next generation. She's passionate about it because she knows that these mighty acts of God are for her. This is her faith. And it flows. The conversation just flows. Thirdly, the third thing we must tell our, our kids is this. Tell them what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Tell them what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a, a, a type in the Scriptures, meaning a, a metaphor of sorts that refers to the slavery that we all find ourselves in, uh, the slavery of sin and the slavery of death. 
And, you know, Israel, they're about to go through some, some remarkable stuff in the future. They're going to go into the promised land one day. They're going to see the Jordan River parted and they're going to walk through that and they're going to find miraculous uh, victories over various enemies in the promised land. And they're going to one day build a temple, but none of the future events will ever diminish the reality that they were saved out of slavery. God doesn't want them to ever forget where they came from. God doesn't want them to ever forget the horror of slavery in Egypt. And for us today, in the same way, friends, nothing should ever diminish the horror of slavery to sin in our minds. We, we progress in the Christian life. We grow in various ways. We find a good church. We, 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 we uh, find the Lord do, doing wonderful things in our lives. Yet never should we allow years of being a Christian to ever diminish the reality that we were once slaves. We were once enslaved to sin. Enslaved to finding our identity in our work, enslaved to finding our hope in a person, enslaved to finding joy in something that did not please God, enslaved to rebellion at our core against God. We were in slavery. And we must never forget that. And we must pass that on to our children. Nothing diminishes the reality, the horrors of slavery here and the, and the joy of being released from slavery here and even in eternity. We will one day walk in eternity. We will be given new bodies that are glorified. We will walk on streets of gold. But do you know what the eternal song is? You know what, what will forever be on our lips for all of eternity? Do you know what the, the eternal wonder of heaven is? It's right there in Revelation 5. It is the Lamb who was slain for our sins. Forever and ever and ever and ever, we will remember and wonder at the reality that this Lamb, this Jesus Christ, our Savior, died on the cross for our sins and released us from the chains of slavery. And for all of eternity, we will sing out to Him, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Don't ever forget that you have been released from slavery. And pass that on to your kids. I'll give you a good example of this. My own father, for some years he lived uh, a, a life, as an old pastor of mine would say, he lived a life of debauchery. I love that word. Life of drugs, uh, rebellion against God in, in every way conceivable. Now, when I was growing up, I remember some of my own friends had dads that lived similar lives. And I remember being at my friend's house and their father might talk about his past, the past sins, his past life. And when he talked about it, 
you know, he would, he would talk about it in, in the sense that it was bad. But he would kind of talk about it in the sense that it was bad. Like bad to the bone kind of bad. You don't know how bad I was kind of bad. Now, my own father, when he would talk about his former life, when he would talk about the years of being enslaved to sin, there was no bragging. I actually, as a child, don't remember him ever talking about his past without tears. He, he, he talked about slavery to sin. And he passed on a legacy of hatred for sin. You know, some of you will say, I don't know how I'm ever going to tell my kids about my past, my life of sin. Well, here's how. Do it with tears. Do it with tears and pass on a legacy. God in Christ saved you. He saved you through this great mighty act of redemption that God did for you. And when He saved you, He released you from slavery to sin. This is how we leave a legacy. We pass that on to our kids. We pass it on. Let me, let me give you a, a final analogy to, to help you bring this all together. The, the church is the tree by which we we pass on the faith to the next generation. The church is the tree. Meaning the church plays a very prominent role in passing on the faith to the next generation. Why is it that we want to grow a healthy church? It's not just for us today. It's not just so we can feel good. It's not just so we can have nice worship services. Why is it that we want to grow a healthy church? It's so that we might be a beacon for the next generation. So that we might pass this on. Why is it that we want to pour into young people? Why is it that we call our children's ministry children's ministry and not child care? Why is it that we intentionally include children in the worship services? It's so that they might see what a travesty it is in so many contemporary churches today that the children are completely removed from the worship of the church. Children never have the opportunity to say, why is it that you take communion? Why is it that the preacher talks so much? No, they, 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 this, is, this is a family and they see it and we grow together and we pass on the faith together as a church. I love hearing stories within our own congregation of, of uh, a single woman who opens up the door to, to neighborhood children and allows the children to come in and find a place of refuge in her home. I love it when my own children tell me what they learned in Sunday school. We are to pass this faith on as a church. In, in Israel, there is no sense in which uh, the Israelite family is to disconnect from the larger community and go off and do the Passover thing all on their own. There's no sense in which every Israelite family should just be like, just me and, me and God kind of, kind of worship. No. You're part, of, you're, you're, you're part of the body. There is no sense for us today in which a family should disconnect themselves from the church and believe that they're healthy. 
There is no sense today in which a family should disconnect themselves from the, the, the larger body of the church and say, it's just me and Jesus, just us and Jesus, kids. No, we are the tree. And the branches grow from the tree. So the church is the tree by which we pass on the faith to the next generation and the family is the branch on which the leaves hang. There is a specific, unique role that every family does play in the body of Christ. God has given you an opportunity to invest in the next generation. Every church, or every family rather, should be a little church building disciples. I I wonder how this might change the way you think about some things. Change where you uh, structure the the values in your house. I wonder how this might even change the way that you think of the significance of your own work, your employment, your job. Let me ask you this question. Do you know what your great-grandfather did for a living? Some of you might, but half of you don't even know their name. (laughs) You certainly don't know what they did for a living. But you do know this, they produced you. See, we spend so much time focusing on what it is that we're producing, worried about various aspects of life, and we forget the reality that in our children we are producing the next generation. Where should our priorities fall? What if your great-grandchildren do not remember what you did for a living, but what if they know Christ? The, The church is the tree by which we pass on the faith, and the family has a specific role as a branch through which we pass on the faith. The flower, the flower falls, the grass fades, that's true. We are very quickly forgotten. That verse, Isaiah 40, it continues, but the Word of God remains forever. You know, Christianity will never be extinct. You know why? It's because it's not our job to keep it going. It's because this is something that God is doing in us and through us. And God will raise up in every generation the faithful, who will pass on the faith to the next generation. The grass fades, the flower falls, but the Word of God remains forever. Your great-grandkids may not know your name, but they will know Jesus. And that is what it means to leave a legacy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage that You have given to us this Passover feast that is to be passed on from generation to generation so that the Israelites may not forget the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And Lord, we ask that we too might pick up this torch, we might live faithful lives and pass on this faith to the next generation, that we might tell them what you did for us, that we might tell them that what you did was indeed for us, for me, and that we might remind them of the horror of slavery and the joy of deliverance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.